0: Whew. Well, this has been quite a week. What's on your mind, Shauna?
1: Oh, my goodness. What's not on my mind? You know, I was having a great conversation with my girlfriend one morning, and we just got into this whole concept of women in leadership, but specifically, what's in a title?
0: Hmm. Okay. That sounds interesting. I think I know yeah. we might we might want to go there. Oh, so, lots of
1: good conversation <laughs> there.
0: Yes. So let's work on unpacking that after the break. And then let's also check in and see where we're at with our micro allyship challenge. I'm Dr. Shauna Payne-Gold, and I go by she, her, her pronouns. And I'm Dr. Lisa Ingerfield, and I go by she, her, hers.
1: Welcome to Unphased, a podcast to disrupt your normal and challenge your brain to go the distance.
0: Okay, so um, a few weeks ago, we had um, initiated a micro-allyship challenge, and we'd offered this up to listeners to to share their um, micro allyship behaviors, um, often in the form of subtle questions to kind of nudge people along. And Shona and I have examples to share with you. So I'll start with my example. I recently joined USA Cycling um, because I've been doing these time trials um, here locally in Denver on Wednesday nights. And um, so as a member, I got uh, sent this survey. They wanted to evaluate the demographics of their USA Cycling membership. I'm like, okay, that's good. You know, it's good to know who your members are. And then you can see where the holes are. I mean, my guess is they already know where the holes are. But anyway, so I'm like rolling through this survey. um, And I come to the uh, gender and race question. And so uh, under gender, they have listed male, female, transgender, gender, non-binary, I forget if there was another one, but then they listed intersex and -hmm. then they listed prefer not to answer or maybe they had a fill-in, right? And then uh, under race, they just had kind of your standard three or four racial identities and they didn't have multiracial or biracial as options. And so I get to the end of the survey, they have this box saying, what do you think we could do better for diversity and inclusion? So I then write like an essay in the box and then um, provide some feedback around the fact that intersex as an identity is not a gender. And so they've essentially muddled sex and gender and they're not the same thing. And that probably created some frustration among their community members who identify um, outside of the gender binary or identify Mm -hmm. as intersex or both, right? And then also that their racial categories perhaps could have been broader and um, provided the option for folks who... Uh, identify in multiple racial categories. Anyway, so this is my whole, I wrote a whole thing about it and I thought to myself, you know what, I should copy this. I should copy this just in case. Control C, control C, right? And um, I didn't and I clicked submit and it bounced me back to the previous page (laughs) and then I tried to move forward again and all of my notes had been erased. (laughs) No. Yes. So I was so frustrated. So then I just wrote a really quick Set of feedback that was much more curt, which probably wasn't very effective or micro ally allyship <laughs> because I was so frustrated at that point. And then I just said, here's my email. Email me. It'll be easy for me to talk to you about this. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. but so that was my attempt to be a micro ally in offering up some gentle feedback around their categories and how those categories might be limiting mm-hmm. or, um, discriminatory. And mm-hmm. so that's what I did. Good for you. You you did your homework. You're a good
1: student for sure. You'd get an A. You'd get an A in my class. Well, I hope I'm a good student because I tried to do something similar. Um, I've been following this podcast by um, several millionaires uh, that kind of pulled themselves up from their bootstraps. They're from uh, Detroit originally, and now they're in Lansing, creating this entire business and this entrepreneurship uh, kind of uh, mogul industry that they've created. And what I found so interesting is that I just have adored them for years. I've been listening to their podcast religiously every week, and I also follow their Instagram page. And so coming up, they're having what most organizations are doing they're having a virtual conference coming up uh, at the end of the month and so they had uh, one of those uh, photos on their Instagram where it was several where you swipe over three or four times featuring all of the speakers for this virtual conference and when I looked at all the names I saw um, for example there was uh, one person who identifies as male and that person was Celebrated for being a radio host, a producer, a comedian, etc. Another male that was uh, mentioned as a number one speaker, motivational speaker in the world. Another person that was uh, considered a real estate mogul and speaker and so forth. But the one and only woman that was featured as one of the speakers, her title and the way she was described was uh, XYZ, female real estate guru and speaker the one and only woman in this whole thing. And I'm wondering, well, why was that even necessary? You know, first, why was it necessary? Because we're not talking about any of that as far as identity is concerned. We're talking about business and we're talking about entrepreneurship. So let's talk about what industry you're in rather than social identity necessarily. And so, you know, I, I noted it, I left a comment and said, okay, let me just voice my opinion here because female real estate mogul, I just adore this business and how they built themselves up but the language is very exclusive so either leave quote unquote female out or put male in front of all the other speakers. Either way, be fair. And so I'm still waiting. I'm looking at the uh, IG post right now and I still haven't gotten a comment back. Um, but this is, not, uh, this is not the first time I've heard uh, one of them say the word female. Um, and I know that their intentions are pure because these are really fantastic people, but I still uh, think there's some onus of responsibility around how you use language, especially if you're uh, someone who's, a top speaker in the world you speak all the time and so what weight are you putting on your language and so that was my form of micro allyship i hope i get a response back i may not but it just felt really good to let them know that that was not okay uh that i picked up on it and maybe other people should really consider it
0: that's great shauna yeah it really frustrates the crap out of me when we
1: yeah. put someone's
0: identity in front of their Title or their position, and it's it's always um, Mm -hmm. the identity of a marginalized group, right? White, male, able-bodied, heterosexual. Those those don't get put in front of things.
1: Absolutely not. Absolutely. Well, and you know that's why I think uh, today's guest is going to be so crucial and important to this conversation. Uh, When we were kind of brainstorming, thinking about you know what do we really want to talk about? Women in leadership has been a topic for a while now, and that's not to say that there's uh, equity around that topic. But it has been a topic for a while. Um, Just because there's more of us does not mean that we have uh, equal power. So uh, given that um, it's something that I consider all the time. And so I decided that I wanted to invite a special guest onto the podcast today. So uh, we have the incomparable Colonel Yvonne Spencer on with us today. I'm really excited to have her here with us. Um, Let me just share um, that Yvonne has uh, broken so many barriers when it comes to um, her role in leadership of our armed forces. Uh, She is actually a full bird colonel in the United States Air Force. Um, I think we're at 26 years, Colonel, Um, 26 years. Um, She serves as a a beacon, uh, amongst her tri club, which is fast chicks. And so I just uh, would be remiss if I did not invite her to have this conversation around women and leadership and, um, what it means to kind of be, um, both literally and figuratively demoted sometimes as women when titles are kind of dropped off or respect is kind of haphazard and leisurely. What, what does that mean? And I'm imagining, um, Colonel Spencer, you have had many of those experiences in your years um, in the U.S. Air Force. So welcome, welcome, and glad to have you today.
2: Well, thank you both so much for having me on this podcast. Um, uh, Wonderful introduction, Doc. I appreciate that. (laughs) Absolutely. And uh, like you said, women in leadership has been a a hot-button topic, and sometimes I wonder if it's because I am a woman in leadership that it's a hot-button topic, but uh, I know that that is not the case. A a number of folks are interested in finding out what the differences are and how we Mm -hmm we've been able to overcome certain things in order to get where we are. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm definitely uh, glad to be here to share some of my, some of my stories and uh, to hear some of you all's as well.
1: Absolutely. Lisa, she is a pro at this when it comes to podcasts. I actually think she needs to be hosting this whole thing because oh my we're good one's on like the JV squad when it comes to podcasting. But, um, but I guess uh, my, my first question for Colonel specifically is um, when it comes to women in leadership, why don't we do more lifting as we climb? You know, why aren't we bringing more people along? You know, people um, like us that carry these kind of heavy titles um, and people make presumptions about what it means and they may even underestimate how we got here or where we are. But why don't we do more lifting as we climb when it comes to mentoring other women, uh, mentoring other women in the Air Force, in my area and Lisa's area of higher education, um, mentoring other women in sport? Why don't we do more of it?
2: I... Now, there's no science or studies to really back this up. <laughs> but I think it comes back from the caveman days where we had to vie for that one man that was going to be able to support us. So we had to look look our best and do our best and cook our best and, and get that attention, almost like a peacock. It's a peacock syndrome for women, um, and that if we are able to to get to that certain point, then... We, we want to still be the only one there so that we can still get that attention and still be able to, um, to, to peacock and not have any competition mm-hmm. from anyone else. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, I, I think at least in where I've been, I think that some males feed into that and they try to elicit this separation. You know, Mm. by saying, oh, well, she's prettier than you or she's faster than you and she can do this better than you. And then now I'm seeing you as competition instead of thinking, hmm, if she's faster, I wonder how she got that way. And maybe I should be her friend and she can help me to be better. Mm. You know, so it's more of a competition instead of a cooperation, which is what I like to to push and encourage and to reinforce and to let the ladies know there, there is enough out here for all of us. I promise you (laughs) the sun can shine on us all.
1: Well yeah, I think that's where um, Lisa and I well, I know I do this um, when it comes to what I learn from Lisa all the time i any area that i 'm not uh, really keen in or really sharp in, I am the first one to get my pen and pad and and write my notes on what I need to learn, what I need to study, what I need to read, um, and you know taking those tips and um, actually just being aware that every woman has something to teach us um so that's my hope um lisa i don't know about your experience but have you had some of those experiences as well
0: yeah i mean i'm just thinking when you said peacock i was you know percolating around well it's the p word right and i was like well not peacock but it's the patriarchy um so it's two p words i guess peacock and patriarchy i feel like it's this narrative i mean you mentioned there at the end um about how there's this um men will feed into this and in some ways perpetuate this competition, right? As though there's just not enough space. There's not enough space for everyone at the quote unquote top. Um, And I, you know, so I think this competitiveness and this, I don't want to learn from you, like I'm against you. I can't possibly collaborate with you is actually fueled by sexism and by a patriarchal narrative that there's only space for men at the top. There's only space for men in these leadership positions. And so, if we're going to create room, we're only going to create room for one of you. And don't you be bringing any of your other people with you, right? Exactly.
2: <laughs> exactly. And and I've seen that. Uh, I was on a a, a uh, virtual meeting yesterday, and it was with a number of the the number one dudes. I'll say because they're all men um, in certain areas of the department of, of defense and i'm listening to the discussions and i'm just but i'm looking at this similar face and, and projection and i'm like wow why is it that this is all that we have at that level and there's not more of a of a dissection of the rest of the united states you know it's the same cut and paste here, cut and paste, white male put in position, cut and paste, white male put in position. Um, and there's no variation, which means mm-hmm. that there's no variation of thought. There's no fresh eyes is what we call it. Someone that's bringing a different perspective, some different experiences in order to round out um, the particular mission set or the, the focus of the area.
0: Mm-hmm. And it
2: just yeah. it just made me think about, you know, again, it's that mentorship. It's those Mm -hmm. relationships that are built. It's that building of the bench and bringing folks along. Um, Even if I'm not going to go any further, I want to make sure that I'm allowing you to jump up on my shoulders so you can get even higher than I've gone, Mm -hmm. not have to so much learn from your mistakes, but learn from mine. So that will propel you on to the next Mm -hmm. level. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You made me think of, um, the success of the mediocre white male. <laughs> it's kind of a joke that I have. <laughs> it's like <clears throat> women have to be extraordinary. Um, women of color, even more extraordinary, but white men can be pretty mediocre and they can rise in the ranks and bring as many of their peeps with them, right? Um, uh, and, it, and it's never questioned because there's mentorship to go around in perpetuity for mm-hmm. white men or for men broadly, right? It definitely mm-hmm. looks different based on your racial identity, but um, that kind of mentorship doesn't exist for women yeah. um because then you have that patriarchal narrative around competition and it's frustrating because you see certainly for women who are trying to um, reach the pinnacle of their career and whatever that might look like to see kind of these guys on a what seems like a conveyor belt just like zooming past them right mm. um and mm-hmm. earning more than them to boot so
1: Well, and I wonder too, because I remember this study, I'll have to go back and look around. But basically, the point of the study was that, um, that speaking of that average white man, um, most average white men have inflated confidence and egos about what they can and cannot do. Whereas women have the skill sets and the abilities and even the previous experiences to do the work, but they may have a bit more imposter syndrome or they do have more imposter syndrome than men. And so I always wonder about that. You know, it's kind of like, you know, we need a few more cheerleaders to make us think that we can do even stuff we've already done. Whereas the average white man is like, oh, you can jump off this roof and fly right now. You've never done it. You've never been trained to do it. You've never seen anybody else do it but for some reason your brain is wired to think that you can just jump off of this building and fly and and i just think that's so curious where you know how is well we know how it's embedded patriarchy um but it's embedded it's almost like in the dna that um that men especially white men have this confidence that's based on literally nothingness Right now. And now that's not to say that white men uh, have not gone off and gotten certain skill sets and educated, et cetera. But to another level, it's like you might be a C student, but you walked in assuming that you were an A student or, or in lots of different scenarios. And so I'm just always wondering about this inflated ego piece that um, and, and what I am saying is I feel like we need to steal some of that ego from men sometimes that we don't have enough of it. I wish we had more of it because we can do so many things that we think we can't do. Um, One of my good friends, going back to uh, just endurance sport in general, one of my friends who is about to do her first uh, 70.3 distance next year um, said, you know, Shauna, how do you know that you physically can do it or that you've trained enough to do it? And I told her. I don't know, I can do it until I cross the finish line, girl. What are you talking about? <laughs> you know, like, you know, the day is what it is. The weather is what it is. But, you know, I'm not confident that I can do it until I'm like two inches from the finish line and that's about it. And so um, I think that as women, sometimes we, we go in not quite being sure and then we even surprise ourselves getting it done. And that's not a phenomenon that men necessarily deal with. They, they don't deal with that doubt or that uh, imposter piece of leadership. They just go do it and all right, I'll build this plane as I fly. I'll figure it out as I do it. Whereas women, we're like, I need all the pieces together. And even when I do have all the pieces together, I'm still not sure until I actually do it. That, that's well, a I, I think one of the, the positives
2: of my, well, there's many positives of my military experience, but um, one of them namely is that I have been surrounded by the white male. <laughs> for you know, the last 30 years through the Air Force Academy and then, of course, being in active duty Air Force. And I, I believe, I mean, I had, I had some confidence coming in, but I think that a lot of it just rubbed off on me as I was around them. And so <laughs> maybe it's contagious, but um, I took on that cloak of, yes, I can do this. How do you know you can do this? Because I know I can you know, um, because I'm going to do the preparation. I'm going to do the fill in the blank and I'm going to just believe that I can, I'm going to see it. Um, And if nothing else to prove someone else wrong, but that's a different podcast.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I do think there's something to be said for um, being in an environment that fosters your ability to understand your capacity for success. Right. Because I think we easily fall into this narrative of all women struggle in this area, you know, like I hear this with triathlon is one of the reasons why there are fewer women who participate in triathlon is because women are just not interested. Women are just not as competent or as strong or have this or that or something else, right? Um, but actually what I think it is representative of, or well, other than the historical exclusion of women from sport is that a lot of women aren't surrounded by people kind of like what you described. And maybe the the white men you have been surrounded by for 30 years weren't really your cheerleaders, but you definitely, you know, you kind of elbowed your way in there and was like, I'm going to take this spot. Thank you very much. Um, But a lot of women are not put in that position. And then we end up individualizing their, um, Uh, I don't know. I don't want to call it lack of success isn't exactly what I'm thinking, but like we individualize that there's something wrong with them, right. Versus taking a step back and thinking about, well, how is the system operating to essentially keep women from moving forward as a group? Um, Right. How are men in leadership positions, not promoting women, or how are men in leadership positions putting women down? Right. And one of the ways they do that is by dropping your title, right. Your educational title, your military title, Um, any kind of certifications that you have as a means to essentially pat you on the head. I don't know that it's conscious, but I think that, Mm. or maybe it is, I think it's conscious for some people, but being Mm. extending some grace to the vast majority of people, I don't think it's conscious. So I don't know what y'all think of that well, do we think it's all,
1: or do we think it's mostly men doing that? Or do we think it's partially women? Because I know Mm -hmm. Colonel Spencer has had some situations, I've had some situations where it was actually other women doing it too. And I'm like, okay, are you trying to um, kind of create this crabs in a barrel type situation where we're all pulling each other down because none of us feels 100% confident that we can do what we say we're going to do? I I just, I, I find that there's, something to the, you know, for example, if I'm just talking to Colonel Yvonne Spencer, then I'm talking to her as Vaughn, as my friend, what have you. But the millisecond someone either one of us don't know or are not familiar with walks in the room or walks into another space, she immediately goes to Colonel Spencer. I immediately call her Colonel Spencer with, you know, I guess it's a form of code switching, I guess, but it's important to me because that person doesn't know her the way that I know her or and I've had it happen before with other friends where oh that's Shauna that's my girl etc but the second someone who doesn't know me walks into the room they immediately pick up the titles and until I allow them to drop the title they continue it and so I wonder if you know we as women we're kind of complicit with that as well sometimes where we're trying to create some type of rapport with one another that may not be there quite yet it it could grow to that but i don't think it's there at the moment but i think we do it to ourselves a little bit too um colonel i know you have plenty of experiences of (laughs) of title dropping um and and getting too cozy with you (laughs) well it does start with the title
2: dropping and particularly with, with social media or in emails so even in professional correspondence i sign Colonel Spencer, I may say Colonel Vaughn Spencer, but uh, whatever I title I use, the expectation is that you, when you send me an email back, you will use the same. But I've had instances of where there will be individuals, um, not of the same uh, same rank or level, but they'll respond back and call me Vaughn, V-O-N. And, they'll, and then, by um, fact, I just got an email where the, the woman used my first name. And I don't know her from Adam.
0: Like,
2: I, I don't really know her. And then in parentheses, she puts, "I hope it's okay. I call you by your first name." Smiley face. Well, do you really hope it's okay? Because you've already done it. Uh, so now, yeah. when I retract or help give you a little course correction, I may be seen as the as the jerk or the asshole. Um, but I did I did correct her. You know, I helped her out. I said. As a matter of fact, uh, Colonel Spencer will be just fine. Um, I do not go by Yvonne in my professional settings. I just had to let her know. But why did I have to do that? Um, I do not believe that if I, if I look differently, and if, more importantly, if I was a male, that she would have had the same sense of familiarity, even though she
1: doesn't even know me. I mean, um, does anyone on the planet call you Yvonne though? I mean, really? No, no one does. So you? that's another point. That, Real, I'm you know, coming, yes, I'm trying to think of
2: Yvonne. It. But I, I, if yeah. you know me, I, I go by Vaughn or, or the Colonel, or, or et cetera. But you know, for her to just take that leap, as if we had just had cocktails the other night at happy hour, um, it did not sit well with me, um, especially in a professional setting. And then um, aside from dropping of the rank, uh, what i've seen and this is on the on the military side so if you are lesser ranking and you see an officer you are supposed to salute render the proper bam salute and i've had individuals that will act like they didn't see me walk by me and you know not sure if it's you know maybe they didn't see me but more than likely they didn't expect for a colonel to come into Come in the form of the package that I'm in. Small, brown, female. (laughs) And, you know, so again, I've got to do these corrections that I don't think that my peers have to do because these airmen or or soldiers, they just have a certain perception of what they think an officer will look like, and it's not me. And so they will not even take in consideration and walk on by. And to me, that is just stealing that rank that I have earned. It, you know, like you all earning your doctorate, it doesn't come out of a crackerjack box. Like I didn't just walk into a, a store for military clothing and say, oh, this looks so pretty. Let me put these on my shoulders. <laughs> you know, so it's, um, it, it's out there and I, uh, I do not like it. And when I do see it, I correct it to the best of my ability, but at the same time, I don't know why I have to do that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, well, I, I mean, I think you shouldn't have to do that, but I think we could speculate about why you do that, why you have to do that. Right. Because yeah. um, I'm guessing the, the emailer was a, was a white woman would be, would be my yes. wager. Yes.
2: Yeah. Midwest. Not that it makes a difference, but yes.
0: Oh, well the Midwest thing is interesting. Right. Because I often hear about Midwestern, Communities as being nice, <laughs> like <laughs> people from the Midwest are just super nice, nice people. Nothing wrong with nice, nice. Like Sean and I have said before, don't stop being nice and kind, right? But when nice. you have like a, a nice white triathlete or a nice white person situation, and then the smiley face thing, I mean, yes. that just and, like, and
2: about four or five exclamation marks. It's just oh overkill. But yes. you could be nice and professional.
0: Yes, you can, right? I mean, you know, it just that blows absolutely. my mind. It was, so, it felt it feels so undercutting mm. like
2: it is, especially in my setting and in my circles and in the military, it's just, you just don't do that. You know, mm-hmm. you always have the proper rank, proper titles, and then you follow by the last name. Um, and so when it happened, it just took me aback. Cause I'm thinking, well, maybe she's <laughs> just not, but I, I helped to, uh, I helped her understand the military protocols <laughs> and my expectations. Um, you know, in, in the role that we'll be playing.
1: Oh, wow. Well, you know, it, and that's what boggles my mind about it, because at least in the military, you know that the entire system is built upon ranks and titles and, you know, climbing that ladder. The entire system is built on that. And so, you know, taking liberties within that system and then you get outside of that system where you have a little more flexibility, but people still take liberties. And so I, it just feels like I, I liken it to, calling someone a first name that doesn't belong to them. So if I clearly know that your first name is Lisa and I continue to call you Sam, that's just as offensive as, as calling someone, not calling someone colonel or not calling someone doctor or what have you. It's to me literally calling someone out of their name. And so, you know, until someone gives you that permission or that leeway or you've built that type of rapport, then I feel uncomfortable with it. Like, Vaughn and I are very comfortable with each other, and I still don't like saying Vaughn. I prefer to say Colonel because, like I've shared with other friends of mine, it's especially if you are a Black person, a Black woman, but pick whatever oppressed group. It's like, you know, a lot of people behind you historically work really hard for you even to have the chance to be who you are as a colonel, as a doctor, whomever. And so um, I wish I had my sweatshirt on, um, the one that says, um, I am my ancestors' wildest dreams. Like that's what that's about is that, you know, grandparents worked in factories for 40 years just to make sure I could walk around with a cool backpack and have a chance to get a bachelor's degree, much less a doctorate degree. So doing things that, you know, people behind us imagined and maybe hoped for us, but even beyond that, and I just think it's offensive to the entire system that uh, got us to where we are, for whatever reasons. I I think it's just offensive and rude, and Mm -hmm. I need a soapbox so I can throw it out the window, and it just, it's (laughs) extremely frustrating when I see it happen to to women, especially.
2: You know, in one setting, I can be ignored as a as a colonel and someone forgets to salute me. But then I go into the base exchange and I see an old veteran, you know, black guy has his little hat on and he's in awe to see me and and saying, hey, we didn't have colonels that look like you whenever I was in the military. Now, of mm-hmm. course, they'll say something like I'd have stayed in a little bit longer. But, you know, <laughs> but, you know it's that older oh. generation, 70 year old man, and he is just he is more proud than anything to see a black female colonel walk through the mm-hmm. doors and walk walking with pride.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and
2: so there's this, this dichotomy that sometimes I'll run into within a span of two minutes.
0: Yeah. Wow. Gosh. Well, I think that race piece is really important because um, for white people, my, my guess is while well, again, perhaps unconscious, right? It's, a complete lack of a recognition of that generational piece you just articulated. Um, You know, because for white people who've had access to wealth and education um, and other opportunities in different ways, because whiteness is so very privileged in U S society and elsewhere, um, then it doesn't even kind of dawn or they don't comprehend that to remove a title, to not give a salute, which apparently is a direct, Um, violation of military policy, right? But uh, to not use doctor or to assume that coaches are only male or something like that is to kind of just um, brush away all of that hard work that has been put in, not just by the person that you are dismissing, but by everyone that's gone before them, right? Because the journey has been that much harder in this country, for certain mm. groups of people to reach those positions of leadership. And so it just feels very dismissive. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it is very dismissive. It doesn't feel it is very dismissive for white people yeah. to do that.
1: Yeah. And Colonel, I, I know you may not know historically how many black women have been colonels in the Air Force, but how many black women are currently colonels in the U.S. Air Force?
2: So the last count, and I, I think we lost one uh, because she recently retired, but um, there are... 66 and so um, there's 66 black female colonels and that's out of uh, approximately 64,000 Air Force officers as a whole and then of that 64,000 there's about 3,500 that have risen to the rank of colonel Mm. and then of that number there's about 350 that are African-American and then of that 350 there's about 66 of us and then in my career field which is the engineering career field which is one of the more technical fields uh there are uh two two of us in this rank. incredible so um so it just (laughs) the numbers get smaller and smaller which you know for whatever reason, it makes me feel like I have to, what's the term? I have to flex my authority <laughs> a little bit more <laughs> right. whenever right. people want to drop my rank because I'm thinking you don't even you don't really comprehend who like who you're talking to. They like, they don't I'm know not, better. They don't know <laughs> better. That, that, that came off really, really <laughs> bad and and I'm not, you know, cocky or overconfident like that. But at the same time I I meant what I said. I right. mean, when you right. see someone, um, you know, even if I see another, you know, female colonel, I know what she probably went through in order to get to that rank, mm-hmm. and so I hold that level of respect, uh, respect for them, you know, and even at the higher ranks and the general levels and et cetera. Um, wow. So well,
1: well,
2: I don't I know. Just, maybe edit that part out. What I said, you know, who you're talking to. <laughs>
1: Keep that in. Keep that in. Keep that in, Lindsay. Keep that in. Um, no, but I I think it's proper. I just look, I just brought out my phone. Look, Cur- Colonel and I know when we start calculating the numbers like this. I pulled out the numbers that, that 66 is 0.103% of the entire US Air Force. So, for those of y'all that like numbers, I'm not good at numbers, but for those that you that like uh, you that like them, that's less than 1%. Way less than
2: 1%. I've had a um a uh a female four-star general, and she likened us to being uh, rainbow-colored unicorns because you almost never yeah. see us, and, <laughs> and mm. when you do, you're sometimes caught mm. off guard.
1: Mm. Well, that, rain- that rainbow unicorn is very important, too, because not only uh, is uh, Colonel a eight-time long-course finisher, 140.6, but she is also... Uh, a Boston qualifier as well. So um, just that 0.1%, I just want to keep minimizing that so it's almost nothing. Uh, but that that's where we are with all of Colonel's identities, which we're uh, very proud of. So um, it's hard to find people like Colonel to have on the podcast, right? This should be like a holiday here. Um, but but I do think it's important to, because, you know, some people don't want to believe those numbers. You know, they don't want to believe that that's actually real, that there's only 66 in the entire uh, United States Air Force, or there's only a certain amount. I haven't looked at some of the um, numbers from USAT specifically around race in general and how it's, you know, less than 1% for certain groups and so forth. So, you know, all of that is really important for thinking about the realities of those people that lived in those experiences.
0: And then it's also, you know, like <clears throat> obviously the colonel rank is pretty high in the military, but there are mm-hmm. ranks that are higher than that. And so my guess would be that as we get higher on that pyramid, um, mm-hmm. it becomes wider and mailer. And I think that that is uh, right. true for triathlon, right? And endurance sport broadly as, as you move towards the top, the um, people who do not identify as a man or people who do not identify as white disappear. And so that fraction becomes even more infinitesimal.
1: Mm hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, and and that also means too. you know, going back to women in leadership and lifting as we climb and even the modeling piece is that, you know, for those that uh, for those unlike Colonel who uh, may have some big pieces of imposter syndrome, you know, how do you know you can do it if you've never seen it? And it's hard to see it if it's yeah. not there. So, mm-hmm. you know, if I'm if if I, if I'm a white man who sees all white men around me of all ranks, then obviously it's like a no-brainer. Of course I can do it. But if you haven't seen someone who is who looks like you, um, who is a colonel, or if you haven't seen someone who looks like you, who's um, done a triathlon or someone who looks like you that's done a marathon or whatever it may be that you're personal goal is, um, you know, that gets into, you know, imposter syndrome. Do you believe that you can do it? But also the piece around, um, do you even know about it to even be involved in the first place? So where's the exposure piece? Um, I know Mm -hmm. for me, I kind of had an idea of what triathlon was about, but I really didn't think that I could even try it until I met people who had done it and met people who looked like me who had done it before. Um, I had a, actually a coworker, when I was working at College Park, um, who had done uh, Eagleman 70.3, and she was the only person, regardless of identity, she was the only person that I knew personally that had done anything uh, in the world of triathlon. And I, I went over to her office and uninvited and sat down in her chair and said, tell me everything about triathlons. I think I might want to try it. Um, but if you don't see it, and if, if they're not there, then you can't see it. If you can't see it, then for those with some type of some level of imposter syndrome, you never know that you can do it. And it may not click to you that you can do it. I won't say never, but it may not click immediately that you can do it.
0: And the mentorship piece, right? Like, so you had someone who could sit down with you and explain kind of the components and um, build Mm -hmm. you up and say, this is achievable. But Mm -hmm. so few women have access to that Um, in sport, in the workplace. um, You know, we, we don't see, we have seen a decrease in the workplace of, Uh, women being mentored by men because men are scared that um, their mentorship will be accused, they'll be accused of sexual harassment, which this is a whole Mm -hmm. other podcast, but that is just like absolutely effing ridiculous. Like get over Mm -hmm. yourself because you're going to mentor men left, right and center. So you should be mentoring women, right? Because if a man isn't going to accuse you of sexual harassment, then a woman isn't if you're not sexually harassing them. So, you know, Mm -hmm. like get over yourself. And so we see this like restriction where women are then like, They don't have coattails. And then we go back to the beginning of the conversation where some women are not taking other women with them because of this kind of patriarchal narrative around scarcity and around competitiveness. mm -hmm. And that translates in sport also, right? Mm -hmm. Um, We're not seeing people. We don't have mentors. Um, Mm -hmm. We're not being, you know, people, we're not being brought together Mm -hmm. forward. Yeah. Well, now, but I think that we,
1: go ahead, Colonel.
2: I was going to say that I I sense that over the past couple of years, we have been changing that narrative. We've been finding, Mm -hmm. you know, that first uh, summit that I went to with Outspoken, I felt uh, some type of synergy with the women that were there that wanted to know more about each other and Mm -hmm. how to support each other. And I think we walked away a little bit closer to finding a way to get out there out in front um, and to be seen. Um, Mm -hmm. And to make sure that uh, once we are seen that we're, we're bringing some folks, some folks along, um, Mm -hmm. just like we were, we were brought along.
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and that was going to be my next question though, is that, you know, I think there are people who are recognizing the need for the mentorship, the need for stepping in. And even if you're only one step ahead of a person, like if, if, Lisa has only done one sprint ever in life. <laughs> she can. She still has something to share with someone who's never done it before. There's always something to share, even if it's, here are all the bloopers. This is the blooper reel of everything I did wrong. Even if you avoid all of these things, you're still going to come out better probably than I did. Um, and so, you know, taking on that responsibility, taking on that um, kind of that ownership of the community, because I, I think that's one of the many unique and positive things that women have that men don't necessarily have with them all the time is that we do naturally think in relation to one one another a bit more based on my experience. I feel like, yeah, we do care if we see someone hurt. We do care if we see someone, it's, I, I think it's less of an individualistic perspective, but it is more of a community Experience, And I think that's something to capitalize on when it comes to, you know, sharing the knowledge, sharing the experience. What did you learn? Um, I, I think that's something that, you know, even in the midst of deep differences, I still think there's more of a relational feel. Um, than I've observed um, amongst the men folk. I don't know if there's any research to support that either, but um, I I have noticed it a bit. Um, And and that's part of the community that you've created, Colonel, um, with a lot lot of the work that you've done um, in triathlon specifically. And just, I guess my next question would be, how do we duplicate that feeling of mentorship and women lifting as we climb? How do we duplicate um, what you've done so far?
2: Well, you've got that that single mission focus and it's all about creating that safe space um, so that you can you can have the discussions and that there are no dumb questions. Everyone's asking the questions. um, And even, you know, for me, I think that some of the things that I've brought is a little some humility. You know, because people will look and say, oh, well, you've done this many Ironmans and you've done this and you make it look so easy. Well, here's where I started. Or here's a race where I was in T2 and I had my helmet on backwards. Like, who who does that? (laughs) You know? (laughs) And I have pictures to show it, you know. So there's just there's just moments where you say, hey, we're all real. We're all trying to get through the same thing. And it's it's building building that bench, like you said and the, the mentorship is great but it's also just that community and l- having the meetups fomo is a real thing uh, <laughs> people will rearrange schedules and you know set money aside That's hey true. we're get, we're going to be here and and they know what it's like to be in that moment and in that energy that uh, fast chicks bring whenever they are anywhere you know not only are our kids nice and loud but we are nice and loud And people want to be a part of that because it's a fun sport. And I think that people see the fun in it and um, helping each other get better. I mean, we talked about the competitiveness and I have a couple of girlfriends. I am very competitive with them. I stalk them every day. And at the same time, I'm asking them questions. And when we're training together, I'm pushing myself, they're pushing me. It's the, the iron, iron sharpens iron. You know, I'm not looking at them with, hate and disgust in my eyes. I'm looking at them thinking, how can I get some of that, some of that podium that you just did? How can I be like that? Um, Mm -hmm. And just encouraging that type of interaction, that type of positive competition, because I think that that's really one of the only ways we're going to get better. And we're Mm going to be more prominent in these, in the sports fields, in triathlon, in these races and making our names for ourselves.
1: I concur. Uh, as a, as a, I don't want to say a longtime member of uh, <laughs> Fast Chicks Tri Club, but let me tell you, Lisa. So what what had happened was uh, when it came to Fast Chicks, I remember when Colonel was putting together this um, online space for all of us to kind of gather and get to know one another and so forth. And um, I think it might it might not have been at about two hundred yet at that time. And so she added me to this group. And I immediately read the title, Fast Chicks, Colonel Spencer, whatever. And I'm looking, thinking, I'm not a fast chick. I don't even know what fast is. I know what moving is. I know what endurance is. But fast is not in my ma- vocabulary. Um, and so I took myself out of the group. And then two days later, she added me back. Into it. And so here I am still in Fast Chicks. Um, <laughs> and um, now it's it's grown. It's It's not fast chicks is not a pace it's a
2: mindset because and, and I always caution the ladies that will say oh I was so slow today well you know what you're slow as somebody else is somebody else's fast so just keep that in mind you know so instead of putting yourself down for whatever you accomplished that day just have the accomplishment and own it you know mm-hmm. you don't we we do a lot of putting caveats and precursors on our accomplishments stop it you you went out, you rode your bike, you felt good about it, period, end time. You know, we don't need all the rest of it. Oh, it's slower than I normally do. And, you know, that's that inner competition, which is fine. You could say it on the inside, but I'm looking at your slow 7.30 pace. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking I would give my left, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, left leg and arm to be able to even think about running that pace. Um, So Mm -hmm. just being cognizant of those that are around you um, and keeping that encouragement.
0: Yeah, I I think that's a, a fantastic way to wrap up this conversation. And I just want to say, I love that you pulled her back into the group. I just like, <laughs> that's like such a great example of like bringing. Like, where bringing are you going? You. Yeah, We're back here. Yeah, no, like no, you're, you're coming with me right? Lisa,
1: you are supposed to be on my side. That is bullying, right? I, wait, wait, look, your loyalties are torn here. Okay. You're supposed to be on my side, not Colonel's. Side. No, but truly she did. She brought me right back in there. I was like, what is going on here?
0: Which is which is great, right? <laughs> like not just letting that person who might be feeling nervous or um, out of depth, not letting them flail or just walk away, right? You're pulling them back in and you're saying, no, you're a member of this community and um, we're here to support you. And I do think that mm-hmm. that is- In a a system, in a sport, in a workplace that's predominantly male, that's predominantly white, right? I think those kinds of maneuvers are really, really crucial.
1: (laughs) Oh, absolutely. 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 I mean, we,
2: we had to get her back in there because, you know, I believed so that she just needed to get on board. You know, it's like either get on the bus or get run over by me and you're not going to enjoy that. So uh, a little, it was a little bit of bullying, but you know, it was like positive bullying, right? There's a term for that. I'm a
1: civilian. I'm not used to taking <laughs> orders. I'm a civilian. <laughs> like what is happening? But we, we've done that
2: for a number of the ladies, just encouraging That's them. Right. You know, hey, I'm not fast. Do so I have to be fast to be in fast chicks? Well, no. You know, do, do, do you want to be better than you were yesterday? Do you want to mm-hmm. find a way? Do you want a community where you can ask questions and be supported um, in your, your ups and your downs? Well, yes. Okay. Well, then you're a fast chicks.
0: Mm-hmm. Come with
2: me and let's ride out.
0: Awesome. Uh, oh, Lisa, I
1: think that's a great, a great place to stop. Come with me and let's ride out.
0: <laughs> yep. Absolutely. <laughs> awesome. So thank you so much, Colonel Spencer, for joining us today. Yeah. You're welcome. It was my pleasure. I enjoyed it. Awesome. Thanks, Colonel. We'll see you next time. Unphased, a podcast produced by Live Feisty Media and supported by the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit.
1: Edited and produced by the fabulous Lindsay Glassford.
0: Email us at info at and find us on social at try to defy, at Dr DrGoldSpeaks, or at Outspoken Women in Tri. I'm Lisa.
1: I'm Shauna. Thanks for listening. Stay unfazed, folks. See you next time.